Welcome to Export the Sound. I'm your host, Ben Ma. In today's episode, I welcome Eric DeFontenay, founder of Beijing-based promotion company Music Dish. We discuss Eric's experience managing the ineffably unique Chinese rock band Secondhand Rose on their American tour, and the reverse, promoting the Norwegian duo Storl Dagsland on a Chinese tour, among many other fascinating tidbits. Hope you enjoy. Joining me today is Eric Defontenay, the founder of Music Dish, a New York to Beijing indie music promotion company. Now, I know Eric best from losing my mind at his killer live shows, like Music Dish's birthday celebration last year for 12 years in Beijing and 25 years since he first founded it in New York. But Eric doesn't just promote shows in his backyard. He runs all over China and indeed all over the world with experience both bringing overseas bands into the Chinese market as well as helping Chinese bands tour abroad. When it comes to connecting China and the world, there's nobody better to tell us about exporting the sound than Eric. Welcome, Eric, to the show. It is so amazing to have you. Good to reconnect with you again, Ben. I would like to start off just by asking you to introduce yourself to the audience and hopefully through the lens of a particular story that I know has been told before, an article in the Beijinger where you tell the story about how you came to China. It all started with Susie and the Banshees, right? Just give us a, a quick rundown of how you came to find your new home in Beijing. As you noted, Music Dish, is, I founded it 25 years ago. And one of the things we did a lot was be media partners for major music conferences around the world. For those in the music industry place at events like EDEM, CMJ, Canadian Music Week. And there was a, there is a big music conference in Asia called Music Matters. At the time, it was in the beginning stages. I think it was the second year. And uh, it was based in Hong Kong at the time. Now it's in Singapore. I went to Hong Kong, but I saw it also as an opportunity to go to China and discover the Middle Kingdom. So I went to Beijing after straight from Hong Kong uh, for an extended stay with a mission, my holy grail search was, is there underground culture in the belly of the beat? Because Beijing being the seat of power in China and et cetera. And uh, I was so, so I went about looking for all these underground or alternative cultural centers in China, of which, of course, live houses, venues. And I went to Yugong Yishan, White Rabbit. And at the time, of course, the venue in Beijing was D22. Oh, yeah. Uh, most people refer to D22 as the CBGBs of China, well-deserved comparison to CBGBs, in that it's the birthplace of probably the, the, the first big wave of Chinese indie music. And when I went there, it's not what I expected going to Beijing at all. This atmosphere of like punk alternative rock. And, and what, what struck me was... Someone just passes by me and, and I look and they got a Susie and the Banshee shirt, which you know strikes me because I was in back in college when I was a huge Susie and the Banshees fan. And I, I think it struck me because I could swear it's the same T-shirt I had when I was in college. 
Wow. What? Like, huh? <laughs> I have to look at it twice. Maybe originally made in China, shipped to nope. the U.S. and shipped back again somehow. Obviously, as you can tell, I found a lot of indie culture. And it reminded me somewhat of New York. Here was this underproduced, more creative, struggling. And it just struck a chord with me. So that kind of started my trip down the rabbit hole. But I wanted to step back into the past to hear about your experience with a very special band to you and one that I think just unequivocally bops, just such unique and and energetic and lovely music that is Secondhand Rose or our show Make Way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was wondering if you could briefly introduce the band and how you came to know them and then eventually came to manage an international tour for them. So our show Megui, Secondhand Rose, is, best way to say it, it's really Dongbei Yaogun. So hmm. a little vocabulary for those people, listeners. Yaogun technically means rock, rock and roll. To me, it means Chinese rock. So just hmm. like we, we have the expression Brit rock, right? Yeah. J-rock, K-rock. For me, it means Chinese rock. But it's a Chinese word for rock and roll. And Dongbei is the northeast region of China. For those people who know their history books from World War II, it's what we call Manchuria. Dongbei is very particular. Color schemes and design are very particular. Food is very particular. Of course, they're very shaped by the cold conditions that are Canadian-like. I can say that having been raised in Canada. They incorporate a lot of Chinese traditional culture and mixing it with modern kind of elements costumes, theatrics, it, it almost looks like something out of Peking Opera. I really wanted to share this music, this energy around this independent music that was happening in China, but I wanted to find the right band. As I would tell people, I don't just want four or five Chinese people playing rock. I want to bring Chinese rock. True Yaogun. When I first discovered our show Megui, it kind of like, whoa, what is this? And that's generally the reaction when I've brought them outside. Whoa, what's this? When you came to Secondhand Rose and you were able to manage their their big international tour to the U.S., was it was it their idea to do that, or did you have to convince them a little? And how, how was their tour experience playing in the states? No, they they approached me. Mm. They they definitely approached me, and, and it was a process. It's not like they approached me, I saw them, and then, okay, good, let's do it. And it was a process in part because it was a process that was, you know, just when we said, yeah, it got interrupted because they got approached by Modern Sky, which is the mm. biggest indie label in China, who I designed them. And Yang Long, the lead singer for Secondhand Rose, had a reason why he wanted to sign with Modern Sky because one of the stipulations in the agreement was that they would set up a show for the band in Gongti, which is the arena at the center of Beijing. And 
you know, that's not a place where rock bands play. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> the and national stage through and through. Exactly. And so working with them was delayed for kind of a year as they integrated with the modern sky. Then we signed. And so there was a process of getting to know each other also, which I think from my perspective, very useful because I was still kind of a, a newbie to the Chinese market. Fortunately, I, I came with a small head, lots of humility to China. And so I was all about, I know nothing, I'm here to learn while doing a business. And so I learned a lot from knowing Liang Long and the other band members who are incredible guys. The reception to the band in the US was, I mean, there's a there's actually a, an article in the New Yorker magazine that covered their show, which is probably the most glowing. I, I couldn't have said it better. And people really connected and love it. I mean, there was one time where I remember we're in New York, Webster Hall, Webster Hall. Jeez, mm. long time since I've been in New York. You know, when you bring a band of that stature, they want to play really nice rooms. But <laughs> a lot of the people in the domestic market don't know them. But I chose Webster Hall because it was the longest running venue in New York City. It's classic. It's big. It, it's wonderful. And the reception there was, you know, people were literally chanting the words. And I'm not talking about Chinese people either, though they were too. <laughs> chanting the words that Yang Long was spouting out, you know, and dancing in the crowd. And I think that says a lot about the reception that they had generally on that tour, which was an East Coast tour. There was New York, Boston, DC, and Philly. Yeah. Damn, that sounds like an incredible experience, and especially to have such a great reception for a Chinese band, almost in today's political climate, hard to think of, but that was definitely a different time. And I like to think that if, if the music speaks that well, then, you know, it can get over those those little divides. I, I actually just, because to me, it's an important point. Of course, during the pandemic, there's this, I mean, there's always racism, but there's this yeah. huge thing of Asian hate. Yeah. And, and for me, at the core of that, and this could be any racism or hate, because there's so much in the world today, it, it, it's the dehumanization of people. Right. Once you know that people are people, it's hard to hate them. And yeah. China is one of the most misunderstood countries in the world, partially because it's not part of the global Internet, partially because information just isn't seeping it out as well. It's history. And that leads to some of the uttering of China. We never talk about the people. We always talk. You know, you look at any congressman, it, it, they rarely say China, they say Chinese Communist Party, always right. like and then they, you know, they just throw in, oh, we're not against the Chinese people, not knowing anything about the Chinese people, absolutely not knowing anything. So I think the idea that people would see a band, punk or, you know, an emo band, a screamo band, noisy electronic music coming from China would challenge their preconceptions and humanize. I completely agree that. You know, when you have music that you that, you know, is coming from a country where you have real faces putting their emotions and their stories into these songs, you can't help but humanize them. You can't help but feel like 
feel a connection. And that's even if you can't even understand the lyrics at all. You know, I think that's really powerful about music and one of the inspirations for why I'm even running this podcast. So great point. Thank you for bringing mm. it up. Speaking on, on, on secondhand Rose and their particular style, do you think that them really having a, a uniquely undeniably Chinese, undeniably Dongbei style of music um, actually helped them in their American tour of getting reception or at least opening people's minds? Or do you think that if you had another artist, say a Chinese artist who sometimes sings in English or uses a more Western pop musical style, then if that reception or promotion strategy would have been different for you? I think you have to take into consideration the perception that there was of China. And that was that China is a copycat country. It's an mm. imitator. It's not an innovator. And so if you bring a band that's like kind of a standard rock band, and there were many standard rock bands in China, of course, that was inspired very heavily in, you know, Western, purely, you know, Western bands or styles. The immediate thing would be that a Westerner would go and start comparing. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's not as good and et cetera. And, you know, with a prejudice. Whereas here they couldn't because it was something that was like they'd never seen. And, you know, Secondhand Rose has such a visual aspect also. It complements the music. It tells half the story. It's like David Bowie. You don't think of David Bowie just the music. You're thinking the visuals, right? Yeah. Or Kiss. It's kind of like on that level. And so it, it, I always say it when our, when Secondhand Rose plays, it's not a concert. It's a spectacle. It, it's an event. You know, it's like a roller coaster. And so I think that 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 helped in like breaking barriers, actually. And them saying, oh, these guys are authentic. Yeah, of course, they're playing with, you know, mostly <laughs> modern Western instruments. And, and, and obviously there, there, there's lots of western music in what they're playing but there's a ton of authenticity there that you know i've never seen i did not even know that that was chinese culture because yeah. most people probably think chinese and music and they're thinking five pretty girls playing very traditional instruments because that's what the government pitches you know yeah so you yeah, know i think it, it, to the reverse and that was what took me some time to find what I thought would be the perfect band was that I didn't want to bring the best, you know, rock band or et cetera. I wanted to bring something right. that was unique. It sounds to me like once you get the fans in those seats or better yet, just standing, dancing, like once they're seeing the show, they're won over by this incredible spectacle, the likes of which they've never seen before. That's really so, interesting. You said if they're in their seats or not, because the show <laughs> at in Washington D.C. was at the Atlas Performing Arts Center, and so of course this is like a theater with yeah. seating. Second Rose is playing, and they're all like bopping in their seats, and then Yang Long just stops and says, "We appreciate very much for the theater to give us such wonderful seats, but it's your choice whether to use them." <laughs> And that kind of unleashed, like the crowd just like leapt out of their seats and started doing the train and et cetera. And I was up in the balcony with the, 
the manager and owner of the center and they were their eyes were like big and they said you've never seen a crowd do that <laughs> oh my that's such a great line i'm i'm gonna have to use that if i ever if i ever get up at a show in front of the mic and everyone's sitting down sorry welcome diversion my question was going here once you get the audience in front of you it sounds like you have a winner when you're doing your promotion, trying to sell the band, sell tickets, even, you know, selling the band to venues, did you have to take a different strategy? And how did how did you go about your promotion strategy? I guess that's like two ends. One, because, you know, we didn't want to play. We wanted to play bigger size venues. And this was their first time in the U.S., and while we had done as much promotion before that event, you know, you're still introducing a new band. And so one of the things that's great about the U.S. is that there is a huge Chinese international student population. Who to some extent are aware of our show Make Week. Mm. And so one of the things we did was very much do meetups at NYU, Columbia University, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in every city, we were doing these and, and kind of, so I would say like ticket sales were maybe 70% Chinese, 30%, 30 to 35% non-Chinese, which to us was, was a pretty good balance. And, you know, so for the New York show, we were able to sell 400 tickets. Yeah, that's big moves for a band coming from overseas. Exactly. And I felt like that's what I owed secondhand Rose. But we also did a lot of things to try to introduce the uniqueness. Crowdfunding was a big part of the tour. And we've always, like, the first band I actually toured was Shan Ren. Shan Ren means mountain people. And they incorporate the very traditional music from the people living in the mountains in Yunnan. So this would be the north of Yunnan, small Beautiful little province. the best part of China by far. It's it's where Shangri-La is. So it's and Kunming, its capital, is called the city of eternal spring because it never gets hot, never gets cold. Yeah, um, right on the border with Myanmar. For those unfamiliar with the Chinese geography, kind of in the yes. south central area. So I brought this band. Incorporates very very traditional, what we would call folk music with modern music. And when we brought them first time again, no one knew them. We did a remix competition of their, their one of their songs, Drinking Song. Of course, you would expect a drinking song from a folk day, right? Yeah. So it's a lot like, you know, on the one hand, it's reaching out to a Chinese, to the Chinese diaspora, Chinese international students. And so we did, we had like, we had, we had technically four shows, but 12 events. You know, we did a fashion show because Second Yang Long is an artist and designer also. And he has a whole line of clothes called, based on Hong Pei Lu, uh, uh, red and green, which are mm. kind of, to the Chinese in general, viewed as a tacky mix of colors, but is very Dongbei with flowers. And so we did a whole fashion show around that. And we also worked with some graffiti artists to do graffiti sneakers right there based on the fashion 
motifs of secondhand rows. So this was a, these were like kind of indicators to both bring in Chinese eyes, but to intrigue a, a, a non-Chinese audience. And so there was a lot of stuff done beyond your standard, you know, promoting a show, PR, publicity, which we did a lot of media interviews, things like that. Yeah, those kinds of extra special events really sound to me like they're bringing a human element, you know, actually having our show make way come in and do things in person, a hybridization of culture, bringing the graffiti artists, combining that with the Dongbei style clothing and overall just reaching out in creative ways to to more than just the traditional music medium to stand out and to connect with. All of those sound like they were pretty successful was there anything that you tried that didn't particularly work or any lessons that you learned from that first experience? I think generally they all kind of hit the note. Nice. Uh, we met our crowdfunding, we exceeded our crowdfunding. So that met and at the colleges and universities, they were always packed. So that was great. And the ticket sales were quite good. So I think we hit all the right notes. But of course, times have changed. And so if I were to bring Secondhand Rose or another Chinese band to the States, I would have to re-examine because that, that tour was in 2014. Times are always a changing, especially at the speed of China, which seems to move even faster than everywhere. Else. Well, we probably have to do TikTok videos, right? <laughs> <laughs> yep. I think that's uh, kind of a necessity these days. Love uh, it or hate it. <laughs> hate it. Hate it. Let's change tax now and, and talk briefly and maybe compare in your experience bringing foreign bands into as as guests and and promoting shows with them as featured artists. What what kinds of bands would you bring into play in China before the pandemic? And do you see yourself returning to importing acts anytime soon? found China to be hyper-liberating because the fact is, unless you're Taylor Swift and Snoop Dogg and people like that, no one knows you. China, I always say, is the great equalizer. You don't have a real core advantage unless you're a top 40 artist in the Chinese market because we don't have Facebook, we don't have YouTube, we don't even have TikTok, we have Douyin. Your metrics on Spotify have no bearing in China, they're irrelevant. How many YouTube views you have, completely irrelevant. So that's kind of liberating because it means I was able to choose the bands based on two parameters, really. Well, three. One, how much international touring did they do? That's the first one. Secondly, my sense of the market here. What would intrigue and draw? Because there are lots of Chinese who would go out to see a foreigner band. Right. But they yeah. don't go out to see something that they could see from a Chinese band. They, they wanted to see something unique and special. So my judgment of what would click. And the third thing is what I want, you know, because more often than not, I was acting as tour manager because I love traveling. This, this, this is how I got to discover more of China than I've ever seen of America. <laughs> and so, like, what music would I want to hear every night? live and still be like super enthusiastic so it was really curated and not as i know the music industry is you know a lot very data metric driven 
but really that old instinct-driven type of music decision-making that you'd find before, you know, before the 2000s, I guess. Yeah. Let's let's dive into an example. Um, what's What's one band that, when you were listening to them, you really felt like they would click with the Chinese audience? And what about that band made you feel that way? And then how did it end up going in the end? Actually, I'll give you another one. I'll give you a band that I had absolutely no idea whether it would click with the Chinese audience, because <laughs> it's actually a more interesting story. Uh, the band is a duo from Norway called Stuhl Daksan. Mm -hmm. And they are a fusion of music. One, they are part Sami. So Sami are the, I guess what we call Aboriginal people of Scandinavia. So before the Vikings, there were the Sami. They have, you know, of course, their own instruments, rhythms. They have a form of throat singing, which don't confuse with Mongolian throat singing. It's quite unique. So when I was in the South by Southwest, and I think it was 2018, we brought Secondhand Rose to South by Southwest to showcase. And so Stuhl Daksan, their two brothers, came up to me at our showcase and said, hey, we very interested in the Chinese market. We want to tour the Chinese market. And I was like, and they had done a lot of international touring and et cetera. And I was like, okay, well, you know, give me your music and I'll listen to it and then we'll get in touch. And even today, when I hear their music, I have no idea how to describe it. I don't have words to describe <laughs> it, which is like the hardest thing when you're doing marketing is it. But I'd never, you know, like I said, I'd never heard anything like it. And it really struck a chord with me personally. I was like, whoa, this is why. Oh man, bring this to China. And then something else came to me. Will the Chinese even be able to relate to any of this? <laughs> like, what? This is so actually I was going back and forth between, oh God, I like to bring this to China. And then on the other hand, oh my God, we're not gonna sell one single ticket. <laughs> Listening and listening, I said, I don't care. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take a chance. I'm going to do it. One of the things we decided was that the people who go to galleries, art galleries, contemporary art galleries, and who hang out in that artsy kind of environment, musically, art-wise, literature, that you'll find in first, second, third, fourth tier cities, that was our target market. Mm. That was our audience. They're the ones that would have the most openness to what we were going to bring versus the live house crowd, which would be more like punk, rock, et cetera. And so we did a lot of our shows at art centers and galleries, Danish Cultural Center here in Shizhouba. We actually, at that one, did a collaboration with Stuhl Daksan and a contemporary dancer called Lijia who actually paints and dances at the same time. So live painting while dancing, Whoa. which is probably one of my most remembered shows in Beijing. 
So it, it definitely struck a chord. And we got them booked at World Music Asia Festival, which is held in several cities, but we did two shows in Shanghai with Still Doxon. Yeah. So finding the right, you know, like taking the music, taking a risk, but then really thinking through what audience is this going to connect with the most and then say, oh, okay, so that's going to affect where we're going to hold the show, what type of show, how we're going to promote and market this show, which is going to be different than when I'm doing Bare Teeth, the French punk band or, you know, or Sugar Blue Grammy Award winning blues harmonica player. It's going to be totally different. I had to rethink very much how I was going to pitch this with a type of music that I didn't really know how to describe. We did, let's see, we did nine shows in seven cities in 10 days. Wow, and actually, like art center style venues? Well, we did one live house and that was, that was the dud. The live house mm. was the dud. There was like maybe 10 people in the audience. Every other show either sold out or three quarters full. I think that really speaks to the importance of having that local knowledge of your target market, knowing kind of not just these kinds of more unconventional venues, but also knowing your market segments well enough that, hey, there is a sizable population of young, artistic, open-minded, international Chinese that would really dig this kind of music. Do you think that like living in China for so long enabled you to, to make those uh, discoveries? You know, I was at a, a conference in Korea, the Ulsan World Music, this World Music Festival Conference, Forum, Forum. And I was there with Sam Devil, who actually is a member of Shan Ren, the band. He, he's like the expert on Yunnan music. And so I had invited him to come to the conference also to speak. Mm. And I was giving a talk on uh, basically breaking into the Chinese market. And Sam is looking at me, just making some final edits to my PowerPoint. He goes to me and says, Eric, you're doing a lot of work for your talk. You only need one slide. I said, one slide? Really? What was that? He says, if you want to go to China, call me. So I was like, <laughs> okay, okay. And what he was trying to say was that, you know, you have to be on the ground in China, really, to understand what's happening. You can't do it from a distance. You know, that's the realization I had, yeah. even though I was bouncing between Taiwan, New York, and Beijing. So I was spending maybe 40% of a year in Beijing. I still felt like, well, that's 60% I'm not here. I'm missing out on a lot of stuff because China is so fast. Trends and et cetera, so quick. Um so yes, especially for the Chinese market, because I've, I've, you know, before coming to China, I've toured bands to other countries and et cetera. But China's really kind of a black hole when it comes to information. And, and you know, the light doesn't come out. It sucks out, it sucks in a lot of light, but it, the light doesn't come out. And that continues today. And it's very hard to get information about, it's even hard when you're in China. Well, for all you listeners out there who want to bring your music to China, you know you have to call Eric. <laughs> <laughs> Let's turn the page and talk about the future of Music Dish, your, your plans for what you want to do as China continues to open up. 
Now, in, in our call earlier today, you mentioned that before the pandemic, you estimated 70% of your time you're importing music, 20% of the time exporting, and 10% actually focusing on Chinese domestic music. During the pandemic, that has shifted to being almost 100% focused on the domestic scene and growing local talent. Now, post-pandemic, are you starting to look at exporting some of your acts, for example, from Fresh Out the Pot? And if so, what, what's your strategy there? So I first want to answer your a question that I, I just realized I didn't answer that you asked me before. Do I plan to resume importing music into China? Bands, mm. right? And we have a roster of bands from before the pandemic that have been waiting to come to China. So invariably, I will be bringing bands from outside China into China. At the moment, they recently said that they were starting to accept applications for performance permits from bands from Taiwan, Macau, and Hong Kong. So you, you need a performance permit even to be able to get a visa to be able to come to China to perform. Yeah. We're anticipating that maybe sometime in the summer that that is going to be brought into all overseas bands to be able to come. But yes, we want to bring overseas bands, but my attention is back to what my original attention was, and that is China, the domestic market. I remember when I managed my first band, Kobotown, out of Canada, and uh, you know, uh, the lead singer was asking, one of the first questions he asked me was, hey, Eric, when are we going to Europe? I was like, you want, you want to go to Europe? Yeah, man, we think in Europe they're going to love our music more than, you know, in Canada, they're kind of parochial and et cetera. In Europe, they understand great music. Now, this, this is what every band thinks. Like, the, the grass is greener on the other side, right? Until they yeah. go to the other side, they go like, oh. And I was like, okay, well, true. When you've played every major festival in Canada where your music can fit, so that would be jazz, blues, world, folk, everyone, then we can talk about going abroad. And that's the process we went through. And ironically, within three years, they were invited by Womex, which is the biggest world music conference, to perform because they were playing everything from the Montreal Jazz Festival to the Vancouver Folk Festival, you know, major festivals. Oh, yeah. And so for me, for Fresh Out the Pot, as I said, these are new emerging bands. And my biggest priority is making them strong at home. And this is like, if there's any artists or music professionals looking at international touring, you know, that's the most important thing. You look at another market when you've, to a reasonable extent, conquered your market. Yeah, I feel like that's the first advice that you get as a band who's looking at touring with with those big big eyes it's you got to own your city first at least that's what i've heard your city then your region and your country because otherwise what you're doing is you're using it as an escape right you're always thinking it's better over there and guess what it's not it's more expensive trust me you need that experience to be able to be you know have that self-confidence to be able to go out there and do it properly and do it right. So that's really my focus here. Having said that, yes, I mean, you know, we are an incubator or an accelerator for these bands. So what we hope to do is bring them up to that level. 
that they're going to be kind of ready for their first abroad shows, tours, festivals earlier than what otherwise have been true. Mm. Where do you want to bring your bands first in terms of abroad once they are successful in China? And why? Why that place? Well, you know, of course, all bands around the world all want to go to the USA, good old USA, maybe secondarily UK and then thirdly Europe. But the fact is, you want to look like the backyard next to you, your neighbors, for cost reason, for culture reason, etc. So my focus will be East Asia, Southeast Asia. Of course, Southeast Asia is one of the fastest growing music markets. I see humongous potential in Southeast Asia to be yeah. the next global hub for export. And also, of course, I think one of the best ways to export music is collaboration. You know, your artist collaborating with an artist in another market, and that collaboration can be from the recording side to the live side. So, you know... We really want to find we really want to find bands that really connect together musically, philosophically, and then have them touring in each other's respective markets, you know, together. And and so that's gonna be the strategy focused on the Asian market. That makes total sense. Kind of a very sustainable way of looking at things. That cultural barrier, I think, is a huge thing to to focus on because Having bands come from China to Southeast Asia, where there's been mixing of cultures, mixing of, of identities for centuries, is going to be a lot easier than, than trying to bring them to the U.S. Well, you know, a quarter of Malaysians are ethnically Chinese, 25%. Yeah. You know, so that's, well, okay. So that's just one example. But it's yeah. like, you know, if you're an American band, especially if you live in the northern half of the u.s the most logical place to start touring should be canada yeah there you go you know not europe my last question is from you to the audience what is an artist that you think everyone should be listening to could be from fresh out the pot could be a music dish artist could be completely unrelated who do you want to give a special shout out to and why well, I, I guess, oh my God, that's like asking someone who's your favorite musician. You go like, what? I got <laughs> who's, your, who's your favorite child? <laughs> oh, man. Well, I, I, for anybody who's interested in Chinese indie music, first guy, and he just actually played Tiny Desk. Was it last, beginning of this week? Wei Jian. Wei Jian oh, is, yeah. you know, the, the, it's funny. In America, if you were to say who is the father of rock, like who really started rock, you know, this would be an academic debate and, you know, it'd be a very subjective answer. In China, no. Indie yeah. rock started uh, by a specific person at a specific place on a specific day. <laughs> <laughs> and Sui Jian is that person. And yeah. so I, I definitely think that they should listen to that. Listen to Tang Dynasty. Listen to Secondhand Rose. That's kind of the history. Give you the context so you can kind of see the evolution of the music that way it's, it's really interesting because it's a short it's a very short you know we talk about the history of music in america it's a long long hundred years in china it's from 1986 well i say 1986 85 84 
basically, that it sure. started, right, and then grew and grew and grew, and it's made some incredible progress since then. Okay, I'm going to mention one other band, a more contemporary band, because I, I love these girls, and basically they're my go-to band every time at my show, and you saw them, yes, uh, Xiao Wang. Xiao, oh, they were incredible. Hawaii Core, that's how they called her their music incredible performers really great well for those kind of punk or very punk and, and you know they're also very socially conscious and and bring this in their music and bring this in everything that they do there's so much music i mean wong went silent speech i could name so many bands that are all so different and reflect a different aspect to the spectrum that is what we call chinese indie music we do have people search music dish on spotify we do have a playlist of our favorite songs from 2020 and 2021 there is over 50 songs in each playlist so if they want a crash course in some of the more recently released songs that we love they can find it there well there you go if you want to release music in china call eric if you want to just hear the music visit music dish on spotify Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Eric. It was an absolute pleasure. And I wish you and Music Dish all the best in the, the coming tumultuous time in China. Well, I want to thank you. And I'm just waiting for you to come to our show again, which means that you got to hop on a plane, come to Beijing, and, and we'll have a show ready that, that will blow your mind away.